Welcome to Investing Insights, partnered by Right Property Group. This is your host, Phil Tarrant. G'day everyone, Phil Tarrant here. I'm the editor of Smart Property Investment and welcome to episode two of our education series with the Right Property Group. Thanks for tuning in again. For everyone who is new to this series, um, it's a new initiative uh, that we've created, we've joined forces with the Right Property Group to really get into the meat of property investing. So what we're going to do is um, chat through a whole bunch of different issues and, and scenarios over the coming period to really give you guys the type of information you need to know to be a better property investor. So our first episode was uh, the 11 things successful property investors don't do. If you haven't listened to it, go and tune in. If you have listened to it, make sure you go back and revisit that because uh, we all need a little bit of uh, guidance and, uh, and motivation sometimes and uh, we might lose our way. So um, uh, some really good points in there if you find yourself stuck or making the wrong calls that you can look to revise or revisit and, uh, and take action with. Today's episode, episode number two, we're going to look to debunk the most popular property myths. Uh, and there is plenty out there. I've been investing in property for, for five years and, I, and I've been writing about it as a, as a journalist for well over a decade. And um, I think I've heard all of them, but there's still some that come out every single day, some new myth, which uh, sometimes make your mind boggle. So I've been joined by uh, the guys from Right Property Group, uh, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar, uh, to come to the studio and, uh, and chat through this with us. Guys, how are you going? Yeah, well, how are you doing? I'm good. Victor, how are you doing, mate? Pretty good, mate. So you probably hear more of these than I do on the front line every day working with investors. All the myths, sometimes mysterious, sometimes factual, and sometimes and often a lot of people get caught up with these things and it stops them investing. What do you reckon about property myths? I think there's plenty of them, but some of them are really well peddled too and they'll, and they'll give you every reason as to why they're true. But once again, common sense prevails and often if it's too good to be true, it is um, probably the biggest one or it's in the top five is that property is a set and forget asset class and they'll usually paint that up with the wording you know, passive income and it, it just really grinds me because at the end of the day, property is about the furthest thing from passive as you could get. You know, it's something that you need to continually check, monitor, drive, manage. But you know, people will just say it's passive buy it, pay it off, collect your 400 bucks a week rent for the rest of your life, you'll never do anything, and happy just rubbish. Do you think a lot of people in, in the property space um, perpetuate myths for their advantage? People talk in cliches, and, and when you have someone that starts talking in cliches, you want to question the real knowledge behind it because a lot of times they use cliches just to mask you know, what the property really is or, or what the strategy really is. And uh, a lot of times, you know, set and forget, all of, all of these uh, sort of cliches, uh, they don't really mean anything. Uh, it's just been touted around, around for so long that it's just become part of the uh, vocabulary of the industry. Yeah, good point. So let's debunk. I feel like Mythbusters. Mythbusters. The Mythbusters for property. <laughs> property <laughs> Mythbusters. <laughs> Trademark that. <laughs> but but let's, let's talk about it. So, you know, we're going to go through uh, six property myths, and these are the key ones um, in this episode of. Uh, of our education series and this first one property is set and forget who would perpetuate something like that who, who would want you to think that property is set and forget i think anyone that was going to derive income from you buying property now yeah unfortunately the industry as we all know has got some pretty undesirable characters throughout it whether property spruikers let's call them yeah. property spruikers whether they're whether they're masked up as an advisor whether they're a marketing company you know an accountant and financial planner whatever it may be there are some of those characters out there which we're all against but i think those are the type of people that'll use those cliches as you say Vic purely because it's just great verbatim where they they'll just wrap you up into something that you want to hear okay so so it's one of the myths is sit and forget what is property really like, Victor? Is it how it's much attention work. does it need? It is hard work, yeah. um, and, uh, especially when when your portfolio gets bigger and uh, you're faced with new situations like tenants not paying rent and then holding the property at ransom and 
uh, if you're self-managing as an example, definitely not set and forget because it's, it's a bit steep learning curve uh, being there, done that. You know, a lot of daily, if not weekly routines that you need to have, such as um, checking where your rents are, making sure that, uh, as we spoke in the last episode, making sure that the direct debits uh, for your mortgages have gone through. So, you know, it's not passive in any way, shape or form. It is a fluid thing. You need to adjust how you're managing the property and, and what you're owning in line with uh, what the market's doing. So it's never set and forget in that sense. And, you know, before I suppose before we go on, though, I don't want to make this, you know, this myth-busting episode all, all negative. I mean, it's, we're just going to talk about some of the crazier things, I That's suppose, right. that um, aren't quite true. And, and Vic touched on it. I think managing your portfolio, or whether it be one property or 100, is, is so crucial. And if you, if you don't have the time to do it because of the size of your portfolio or because of your profession, then have someone do it for you. And I'm not talking about collecting the rent. I'm talking about keeping on top of the paperwork. Keeping on top of the paperwork. Yeah. Keeping on, you know, like for us, all our clients, we provide them online portfolio trackers. We encourage them sternly to fill them in at the end of every month so everything's up to date and we can monitor that. But if you don't do that, it'll get out of hand pretty quickly. And as you say, direct debits, you know, money in, money out, mortgage rates, you know, the, the amount of times that we sit with people that you know, they're paying three quarters of a percent over the odds in terms of interest rates is unbelievable. It's, it's not minding your own business. There's probably a couple of points I'd make about, about this myth, guys, is um, property investment, it's a business, right? It, it is, is, yeah. So, so you wouldn't create a business thinking you don't need to do everything all day on it or any day and we'll just leave it alone. So it is a business property investment. You need to make sure that the best businesses, the ones which are process orientated, they're, they're businesses that you can scale, they're businesses that can run effectively with the right type of management. You need to think about property the same as that. And the other point I'd make around this is um, at different points of time, as an asset class, property is going to require different levels of connectivity. Yeah. yeah. So if you buy well and you get your systems and processes in place, as in the management of those properties, every now and then just needs a little massage and make sure it's going down the right track. But then if you're in a buying phase, probably it's going to take a lot more of your time. Absolutely. So it's got to ebb and flow based on your strategy. And the size of your portfolio. But I think you, you, you've hit the nail on the head. If you want to scale your business being your portfolio, then you need to have your systems and your procedures in place. That's right. You need to review it enough and you need to make sure that everything's running smoothly. Otherwise, you can't scale it. It's good. So our next myth, Victor, that we're going to try and debunk here is that with, uh, with property and property investment, all you have to do is collect the rent. So it's sort of a little bit connected with our first one about being property being set and forget, but do a lot of people think they invest in property, they go, yeah, look, my, my rent will come to my bank account, happy days. You're right, it, it does um, go hand in hand with the set and forget uh, mentality. Uh, with the rents, of course, you've got to monitor it. And, and one of the key things that I find uh, with um, the property investors I mentor is that one of the drawbacks is that they actually don't look at their statements as it comes to the inbox or if they've got physical statements. I get my statements electronically every fortnight. So I'm actively managing it in that sense. Yeah, so it's not all about just collecting rent. You've got to look at it from the whole holistic view. You know, your insurances should be in place uh, both for the property and for yourself. You're able to earn the income. Uh, so you have that risk mitigation in place. Uh, reviewing your interest rates as, as the market changes, uh, reviewing your rents as a change. Uh, so there's a whole lot of background work that you need to do for the rents to just come in. Yeah, it's part of your team. And what you mentioned is you get your statements online every fortnight. Every fortnight so yep. what we encourage people to do is actually create a different email address just for your anything property related. So, you know, it might be Steve's properties at you know, blah, blah, blah. And that way, anything and everything property related comes to that rather than me looking through thousands of emails and, and getting lost in transition. The other thing that was interesting that Vic mentioned was that he gets his statements and therefore his rent dispersed fortnightly. Now, that's something that you could do if, if cash flow was of the 
you know, you're squeezing every cent out. But just be aware that if you do ask your property manager to disperse rentals or your rent monies uh, on a fortnightly basis, most of them will charge for the privilege as well. So you'll, you'll expect to pay higher fees mm. and charges, yeah. And it goes back also to this, this analogy that a property investment portfolio is like running a business. It's how do you run a business? It's about cash flow, right? Cash flow's right. king. That's, that, yeah. that's it. Money in, money out. And ideally, you want the money in to be greater than the money that's going out. It's going to be dependent on the size of your portfolio, the maturity of your portfolio, whether or not it's going to be a positive number or a negative number. Correct. Yeah, and um, that's something obviously you can work through with your your accountant. But I think the the important myth here is that property is a lot more than just thinking that money's going to come into your bank and it's going to be happy days. Yep, manage your business. Manage your business, manage it well. Our third myth that we want to debunk, and, and this is interesting, and, and to give some sort of a background or context to this, um, I'm a journalist, my, my job is, is, is to, to chat with property investors, and, and I've been through the process so many times of um, chatting with property investors thinking that the right type of property to buy is something which is a premium property in a premium suburb that's X number of kilometres from the CBD, and these are all important stuff. You know, it comes down to uh, the fundamentals of buying a property. But one of the myths, and I think this is a really important one, that we should debunk and you should start thinking potentially differently about the myth is investing in low socioeconomic areas is bad because the tenants will trash your house. And you guys hear this all the time. I hear this all the time. It annoys me a bit um, that the people have this... It annoys me from two levels. It's just, it's a stupid way to think, but also it's not a smart way to think either in terms of building a property portfolio. Yeah, look, yeah that's really well, I suppose, put. Uh, yeah, it annoys the hell out of me as well because there's an element, what you're saying is you, you're, you're painting a whole area with a bad brush of, you know, crazy, you know, no good people. And, and let me tell you, we're in North Sydney at the moment and I can guarantee that there's a portion of dwellings here that it have some undesirables in it as well even though the average price is around about two million dollars so to paint a whole area with a brush like that i think is is poor form and not very smart there is a few i suppose things that people think about these areas being untardy you know what about if the tenant kicks the place in or whatever it may be which just doesn't happen you know at all i think rather than thinking of them as a lower socio-economic area which is a pretty horrific tag we tend to talk about them as a more affordable corridor at the end of the day because these areas do transform over time and it's where the the smart money so to speak is better cash flow better entry That's point right. and not everybody's in the in the same financial scenario where they can go out and buy you know six seven hundred thousand dollar investment packages you know not everybody can afford the negative cash flow on that so they do look to the more affordable corridors where perhaps the cash flow is a little bit better. In some instances, the entry price is lower, so therefore the deposits required aren't as large uh, and they spread their risk. And then these are the areas, of course, where usually the infrastructure tends to go in uh, sooner rather than later. Because if you look at the more established areas, uh, such as your North Sydney, the infrastructure is pretty much there. There's not much else we can do. Whereas if you went out further west, the upgrade of the infrastructure follows the population. So as the population increases, there's a natural push to get the infrastructure in place or better infrastructure in place, which then creates that growth again. So it helps push along the growth as well in that area. Well, let's go. Why do you invest in property? You invest in property for the property to go up in value and hopefully the rent will cover uh, the mortgage repayments and other costs associated with that, that. That's what you want, right? So you want both. You want yield, you want capital growth. Now, let's talk about specifics with this. So we're, we're in Sydney, North Sydney right now. Let's talk about areas. Let's talk about lower, perceived lower socioeconomic areas. Let's talk about Campbelltown. Let's talk about Liverpool. Let's talk about Penrith. Let's talk about Blacktown. Mount Druitt. Mount Druitt. I've got properties in all those areas and I've done exceptionally well out of it. You know, the whole notion 
And let's say a fifth of the Australian population lives in the western suburbs of Sydney. Well, it's called a mortgage belt for a reason, It's called right? a mortgage belt. Yeah. It is massive. We've done exceptionally well as property investors out in those areas. Myself, I grew up in Blacktown. I know the area well. And this goes back to that first thing about it's just idiotic to think that people in these areas are going to trash a house. People, It's just it's not sensible. So my point would be if you've got any of these preconceived ideas about this, speak to people who invest in those areas. Yeah. And it'll probably completely change your paradigm. Or even take a drive out there because a lot of people have never been to those areas. But even still, like if you take, because you mentioned Blacktown, so yeah. Blacktown Shire where you grew up. Yeah, yeah. So let's go pre-boom or you know, pre-buoyant prices, we'll call it, over the last five years. The Blacktown Shire encompassed areas such as Mount Druitt, which had a not so good rap or a stigma attached to it, which is... Mate, flannels, Ugg boots. Which, which is how we get around, right? It, but in the same Shire, you also had some parts of your... I'm not sure if Kellyville is, but... Uh, the, uh, pond, the ponds are the part ponds, of Blacktown. Yeah, so the yeah. ponds of the Blacktown Shire. So this is where when we talk about ground truth and, and not being reliant upon data, which is extremely misleading. So you had this one shire that had opposite ends or bookends, million-dollar suburbs, and at that stage, pre-GFC or pre-the boom, $200,000 suburbs, yet people want to talk about the shire as this one you know, collective one, yeah, yeah. one collective asset when it's not. And this is, once again, ground truth, markets within markets, suburbs, streets. It all comes down to that, you know, to be that definitive. Yeah, and irrespective of Sydney or, or Melbourne or Brisbane, you want to debunk a myth pretty quickly, get in a car, let's talk about Sydney, so right. and drive down Windsor Road right yeah. now. Go and have a look, go past Bella Vista, look at the infrastructure going in there. And, and Victor, your point, and, and we're talking about this as, as property investors, your point that infrastructure follows population growth. Now, what makes property a good investment? Why is property going to go up in value? And why are you going to have demand for people to rent it? It's because... Because of population. It's about population. So population increasing, big tick. Wages out that way are increasing. That's right. Big tick. Infrastructure's massive. They're getting a brand new train line out the western suburbs but but even through Liverpool and, and Campbelltown the, the same levels of infrastructure and Penrith the same level of infrastructure the same level of investment from the state government it's absolutely huge that's where they're spending the money right now and it, and it has been for some time so on one side of the coin you've got the infrastructure follows population growth but if you go to the so-called lower socioeconomic areas but we'll call it the affordable corridors and you do take because you mentioned Penrith and you do take your St Mary's and your Mount Druitt and your Blacktown I'd challenge anybody to say that that already didn't have the best infrastructure that you could possibly hope for. So you had your schools, your stations, your your massive shopping centres, your hospitals, a bus industry, a bus stop every 100 metres. It already had it there and and it was there because that's where the mass population is. What people tend to think is that you're out in the sticks somewhere with you know, no job prospects. There's no money in the economy spinning the wheel, so to speak. And that's actually the most furthest thing from the truth. But people have this preconceived idea because they heard from someone who heard, who heard, who heard, who knew nothing about anything. And But that's got to be the truth. So I'd say get off your backside, go yeah, and have a look. Do it. And, and what frustrates me the most about this myth is that I, I wish I could be buying properties out there right now, but it, it doesn't make sense for me to be buying there Not right anymore. now. The, the, mm. the growth, the, a lot of the growth has happened. Yeah. And we need to wait for another cycle, really. for the, And there's still good buying opportunities out there but my money now is better spent in areas in in areas like the western suburbs of sydney that's right in other states and And there's a couple of reasons for that one is because our strategy is about cash flow and growth so you know you can have all the growth in the world but if you haven't got the cash flow to support that growth you've got nothing because you can't afford to hold it we like to have the the combination of both where our risk mitigation is in place and we can sleep at night it's good all right let's move on to our next myth uh, which is never buy units only buy houses. That's a good one. In fact, I think this could be a topic for one of our later months as well because a lot of people miss out on good equity gain and, and good cash flow 
by just concentrating on houses. In my portfolio, I've got a blend of houses, townhouses, units, and larger parcels of land. It needs to be balanced, obviously. Uh, and of course, if you're buying units, you need to look at what the strata costs are. Mm. So if you're buying a uh, in a unit complex with your you know your gym, your pool, your uh, concierge, you know, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, you're asking for trouble as from an investment point of view because obviously your strata fees is going to be substantially high. So that that's the only thing that I'd look at when I'm differentiating between a house and a unit uh, is to actually take into account uh, the strata fees and uh, compare it cash flow wise. Uh, so that you've got a blend of uh, properties in your portfolio. It's probably the the biggest question we get. Yeah, we absolutely. Get asked, hey, so yeah. I'd rather a house than a unit. And it's a bit like I'd rather city than regional, um, which is a whole other episode, I suppose. Look, I think Victor's pretty much nailed it. You've really got to be looking at the cost to operate of the unit, and that includes your strata fees, obviously. Uh, and the best way to really look at strata fees is just think of it as a, a kitty or a holding fund that you contribute to on a quarterly basis to take care of external maintenance and repairs, generally speaking, Yeah as opposed to your house where you're up for everything when it happens. The other thing that I would also say about, and I'm not saying units are better than houses just as a prerequisite, as Victor said, you do need a blend. Uh, and the reason that we we buy units or townhouses or villas uh, for that matter is usually because they're based on better infrastructure because the zoning's Absolutely. different from out in, the, out in the burbs, so to speak. So they're closer to the hubs of transport, schools, shopping centres, whatever it may be. And they also provide, generally speaking, better cash flow, better net cash flow if you buy in the right complex. And, and you know, that's buyer beware, of course. And as we've talked about before and, and probably f- talk about in future episodes, is getting that balance of cash flow and growth is is absolutely essential. So, yeah, we talked about in the prior episode and we probably will every episode about your portfolios, a business, well, then your cash flow and the types of properties and as your portfolio sort of evolves is about balancing the books. So you need cash flow and you need growth and they come in different forms of property. At different times. At different times. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, our next myth, and this one I really like and I hear it all the time and you guys as well, buying new is better because of the depreciation benefits. And I might extend that a little bit further. Sure. I'm going to say because of depreciation benefits and also negative gearing, a negative gearing strategy. Yeah. New is better for a negative gearing yeah. strategy. Yeah. What do you guys reckon about that? How long you got? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's probably its own episode, no doubt. Yeah, and this is usually the advice from a ill-advised accountant or, or financial planner, even you know perhaps a strategist. It's not that good. Is that you need to buy newer because you're going to get the high depreciation and you're paying too much tax, so you need the depreciation. Yeah, that's just crazy stuff. And yeah, we won't go into the the whole explanation of negative gearing and, and things like that. Just remember cash flow is king. Why make a loss in Absolutely. to get a little bit back? I mean, that's just, you would not do that as a business. Don't believe that you need to buy new to make money in property and don't believe that you need to buy new to help, in inverted commas, with potential tax problems. Yeah, you need to look at the property in its isolation. So take away the negative gearing, take away the tax benefits work on cash in cash out so how much rent you're getting in how much expenses you're paying out so your mortgage your, your strata fees if it's a unit uh, your maintenance costs your insurance and all that and if it works on that and if it's a new or newer property that's just a bonus you know you, you just got, have to remember that we're talking two very different things if you're talking about high depreciation of course you're talking about tax minimization and usually when you got tax minimization you can't have a contra strategy of wealth accumulation happening at the same time. I saw this morning on my desk someone else's proposal from another company uh, as to why you should buy a property. And it had had some beautiful figures around it uh, in terms of 
the paper it was printed on and the nice colours. Nice brochures. Yeah. Nice brochures. But right down the very, very bottom it said, this will be your depreciation or, or allowance, which I thought was just crazy. A, a soon depreciation as you start, allowance, yeah. Yeah, so like it was like $8,000 in the first year or something like that. So essentially what it was telling me was that, you know, you're going to get this $8,000 bonus in inverted commas because you buy this property as a, as a tax rebate. And as Vic said, if you're if you're even contemplating purchasing any type of asset based on the tax advantages you're going to get around them purely and that's your defining decision or what's that's what's going to help you make a decision yeah you deserve to lose money what i like about you guys and this is the, i'm not be preface this and give you a hard time but what i do like about you guys that whenever you talk about property you always talk about gross rather than net absolutely so so gross and this is what you were saying victor you gotta look at the, the, the money in money yeah. out right, that's right. Let, let's talk about it. if you can invest in property and not need the tax benefits associated with it. that's what you should be striving towards a lot of people get caught up thinking it's a negative gearing strategy and a really good property spruker or accountant will talk to you about this. They'll be talking about the net figures. So after everything else is included, you're going to be neutrally geared, right? You've got to be talking about the, the big end of town, the, the top numbers. Cash, cash in, cash Money out. in, money out. You have to treat the tax as a bonus. And, and every year, every election cycle, every end of financial year, the same thing rears its heads up in the sense that, okay, what if they take away the negative gearing? So we have a lot of investors that live in fear because they've gone down the path of brand new properties or, or high depreciation purely because of tax reasons. And uh, coming back to Steve's comment in terms of, uh, you know, the, the slick brochures and all that, look at the fine print. It's usually based on a particular figure that the depreciation's worked out on. Your, your income. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. And which and is crazy. Yeah, it won't be your income. It's, it's a figure that they've chosen. So you need to bring it back to your own financial situation first yeah yeah and sorry and like i said we wouldn't get into this whole debate about gearing negative gearing and and what have you but yeah we go back to the election where they're going to take it off the off the table and, and what have you so the fear of god was in a lot of investors and so well, what happens now what happens now we sat back and said yeah do it abolish it yeah it'll just create opportunity within the market first and then they'll realize what will happen and they'll reintroduce it and we'd have set ourselves if your whole portfolio is based upon your taxable position and what you're going to get back at the end of the year to be able to survive, then you should get out of property. Dangerous ploy. So this sort of myths expand a little bit that there's no such thing as investing for a tax strategy. There's no such thing as a tax strategy. Tax is an outcome. It's a byproduct. It's just a byproduct. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Okay, good. So our last um, our last myth that we want to debunk this is a good one. You only buy within five to ten kilometres of the major CBDs. Victor, probably six or, or six months or a year ago, I remember chatting to you about this particular thing, and and you have a really interesting view of this. Where if you look at the growth of properties in Australia and the way Australians live, and let's go back to a example of the western suburbs of Sydney, you have got Campbelltown, Liverpool, Blacktown, Penrith. They're they're all Parramatta. They're they're, they're major CBDs in their own rights. People people, if I live in Campbelltown, I might commute to the city for work, but most people live, raise their families, entertain themselves, all within that Campbelltown area. Absolutely. And to bust this myth, you've got to look at where the employment cycle is. So in the uh, early years of, of um, industrialization and then the um, uh, IT information and so forth, all the uh, work was around the city. City, So, you know, your postcode 2000, postcode 3000, and within five to 10 kilometers. So that's where the mortgage belt was back then that's where the working community was and the people with wealth were actually living out in the suburbs on acreage now it's done this complete flip around where the work is distributed out because of better logistics now so we can get uh, employment hubs such as if you're talking new south wales your your, your liverpools your camel towns your black towns 
Uh, so the um, adage still applies that you buy within 5 to 10 kilometers of CBD, but the definition of CBD has massively changed where you've got your sub-CBDs like your Parramatta, Liverpool, your Blacktowns, rather than your Sydney Postcode 2000. And that's what we need to keep in mind, that all of these principles need to be adjusted for time and where the property cycle is and where the economy is. 100% agree. And I think, yeah, we're still looking at rare earth commodity here. Absolutely. Closer to the CBDs is obviously more attractive in terms of commute time uh, and what have you. But I think, as you said, today's technology has allowed these so-called blue chip areas to expand as to where they are. You know, people starting to work from home. You know, there are satellite offices. If you look out to where our office is in the Hills District of of Sydney, um, you go back there 10 years ago and it was nothing compared to what it is today. But today it's rare earth. People need it. People want it in terms of commute times. Um, Now, having said that, not everybody can afford the 5 to 10k round kilometre range around these CBDs. So it's it's once again being able to invest where you can afford. And I think it goes also to um, our original comments around why property goes up in value and that's around infrastructure. So um, that's right. where are our state governments investing right now? They're investing in new areas. Let's go back to the Sydney paradigm. Um, it's your Hills area. Um, it's massive growth out that way. Penrith, uh, Liverpool, Campbelltown. That's where the government's spending money right now because that's where people want to live. And because people want to live there, there's getting the amenities in there. More people want to live out there. Where are our populations heading to? Our, our new migrants, um, they're heading out to those areas. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's where the money is. And as with anything, it's, you know, it's cyclical adjusted though as well. You, know, you don't want to be buying at the wrong time of the market no matter where it is, but we're talking about 5 to 10Ks of the, of the major CBDs and the type of property as well. So you know, if you were to buy in any of the major cities throughout Australia now in that 5K range of the CBD, and we'll, we'll talk about postcode 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, and you were buying units... Well, I don't think you're going to have much of a of a ride in terms of growth over the next couple of years, just due to oversupply. Yet, if you are able to secure detached dwellings in some of these areas or larger block of lands for the right price in these areas, well, then it could be quite the reversal, and you might make a bit of money. Yeah, but so the same holds true if you're still wanting to invest within five to ten kilometres of the city Sydney CBD. It's the same logic as investing in five to ten kilometres of Campbelltown. Liverpool. Pretty much, just yep. your price yep. point's going to be right. price point and cash flow. Lot yeah. It's going to be different. Yeah. It's good. Yep. All right. I think that's the end for uh, episode two uh, of our education series. Um, thanks for tuning everyone. I really enjoyed these. This yeah, is good. good. I'll quickly summarise um, episode two. So what we've tried to do here, and I think we've done a pretty reasonable job trying to debunk the most popular property myths. So the first one was property set and forget. The second one was all you have to do is collect the rent. And we sort of frame them around property being a business. And yeah. you don't want to be asleep at the wheel. You know, you've got to invest time to be successful. At certain times, your property portfolio is going to require more work than other times, and it's depending on whether you're buying or selling or, or what your current situation is. But you need to keep aware, you need to be responsible. Uh, our third myth was uh, investing in low socioeconomic areas is bad because the tenants will trash your house. I think we covered that pretty well and made our position quite clear on that. Look for opportunities. The next one was never buy units, only buy houses. And I think we sort of said a blended portfolio would include Absolutely. both. But there is reasons why you would buy units over the reasons why you buy houses. Our second last myth was uh, buying new is better because of depreciation benefits. And that's that holds true. And that sort of expanded into the notion of a tax strategy and um Tax is not a strategy, it's an outcome uh, of investing in property. Um, and I think the term you use was tax benefits, uh, which is a product of 
investing in property and a good accountant can help you out with that. And um, the last myth, which I really enjoyed, Victor, was uh, only buy within five to 10 kilometres of the major CBDs. What we're saying is that five to 10 kilometres of the major CBD, so your 2,000, 3,000 postcodes, if you can get in there and it suits your strategy, absolutely brilliant. Good luck. But don't frame your idea of a major CBD by those major postcodes. Um, every city has satellite cities uh, within it. Your Ipswiches, for example, out in yeah, uh, out Brizzy is a really good yeah. case in point. They're out there. So don't frame your strategy being 15 kilometres of the major CBDs. You need to look at what a CBD entails. And a CBD is an area that's going to include um, all the amenities, business, industry, jobs, entertainment, sports fields, hospitals, everything. So um, And a growing population. And a growing population, which is absolutely key. So um, thanks, guys. Anything to add before we close off? If you've got any questions along the way, don't forget to get in, get in touch. So Email us. Yeah, e- email. So you can uh, email questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au. So um, if you go to smartpropertyinvestment.com.au where you're watching or listening to this podcast right now, you'll see some of the topics that we have coming up. If you want to know anything particular about those things, please get in touch. Um, So send your questions to questions at rightpropertygroup.com.au and we'll make sure we cover them off. Um, Phil Tarrant here. I'm the editor of Smart Property Investment. Uh, I've been joined in this episode of our education series with the guys from Right Property Group, Steve Waters and Victor Kumar. Um, We appreciate you tuning in and uh, we'll see you next month. 